Father, we, we pray now as we open your word, as we, as we seek truth, as we look toward you, Lord, that you would continue to be with us, you'd lead us and guide us. Lord, we believe that your word is true. We believe that it's profitable for our life. We believe that you are revealed to us through it. And so, Lord, as we start 2017, Lord, might we, might we in greater ways surrender, consecrate, yield, give ourselves to you, that you might be glorified in our lives to the fullest. And whatever comes our way, help us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Come on. See, y'all can learn from kids. You got to speak up. Get some life in here. It's 2017. So um, it is. It's 2017. Um, you know, we say it's all the same things that we say every year. You know, can you believe it? It's 2017. You know, it's um, all, all these like normal things to say. I don't know um, what you have for resolutions or whatever, but. I don't know if you've ever kind of been in a place where you, you make a commitment to do something that is highly ridiculous and you don't go through with it. Anybody ever done that? Anyone? Come on, raise your hand. Moment of transparency in 2017. You had really good intentions. You were going to do something. You had a great idea. Didn't come through. A few years ago, um, there was a, a guy I knew. He had this warehouse and he had a, a UFC octagon in the warehouse, he was training for it, and I went in to the gym, and I walked around, I was just looking at it, no intention to be a UFC fighter, uh, no intention to do MMA, mixed martial arts, that wasn't, and the guy asked, he said, hey, have you ever, have you ever done any of this stuff? And I'm like, no, I've never boxed or anything like that, and he goes, no, did you, did you wrestle or anything? I'm like, yes, I did wrestle, I wrestled for 12 years. He goes, wrestlers make the best UFC fighters, <laughs> and I began to think, maybe, so I go home, and I say, Deb, this is a true story, isn't it, Deb? This isn't, this isn't a preacher's story. This is true. <laughs> and so I go home, and I said, Deb, what if I started doing mixed martial arts? And she's like, are you kidding me? You're a pastor. You're going to walk up with, like, black eyes, like, tooth knocked out? You can't do that. And, you know, my, my great guide in life that God has given me, um, his Holy Spirit and my wife, right, helped me come to this place like, yeah, that is kind of ridiculous. So it is a legitimate thing that for about 12 hours of my life, I was contemplating being a UFC fighter. Um, so anyway, I think I would have done well. But um, anyway, so I don't know, maybe that's your dream and goal this year and good for you. Um, uh, but, but whatever it is, we, we have all these things we, we want. And in the year, year coming, you have, you have plans, you have hopes, you have fears, possibilities, unknown. And maybe simply to start off our time today, <clears throat> there's two ways that you can go at 2017. And I don't think there's a lot of in-between in this. You can go at it alone or you can go at it with God. Whatever comes in 2017, which none of us really know what that looks like or what that means. Again, you can go at it alone or you can go at it with God. You may even reflect because New Year's days and this time of year tends to make us reflect backwards. Maybe you have been going at it alone. And maybe that's why life is really, really hard. 
because you don't have the helper that we talk about in here every week. You don't have the one beside you. You're, you're, you're not trusting. You're not walking. And maybe this year, it'll be a commitment that you make that I'm not going to go at it alone anymore, but I'm going to go at it with God. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, well, Ryan, see, I, I've been going at it with God for years. I, I gave my life to him when I was a young, young boy, young lady, and, and obviously God has been with me. I'm not speaking about it in the way like you might be thinking. So I'm not saying, have you given your life to Jesus? I'm saying, are you trusting in him moment by moment and day by day? And is he going at life, right, as the one carrying you, leading you, and guiding you through? This morning, we're going to look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Um, you can get a Bible. There's one that should be in the seat ahead of you. It'll be on the screens. Um, you can pull it out on your devices that you received at Christmas, underneath the tree, that new iPad Pro, whatever it is that you have. Um, but Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And <clears throat> really, really what this text is going to do, um, just before we read it, it's going to be a moment where Isaiah has his calling, someone called his second calling. This was his specific time, but, but he catches a glimpse of God as he is, as God is. And as he catches this glimpse of God, it leads him to a reality of who he is. It leads him to a reality of his self. And then the result of that is that there's grace poured out upon Isaiah's life. And then there's a response from Isaiah in total commitment. And maybe this morning, even for us, there would be, we could, in some way in this text, catch a glimpse of the glory of God. How wonderful and how perfect and how holy he is. And it would cause us, this morning, to come to reality with who we are. Isaiah will say it, say it in a minute, woe is me, I am undone. I'm unclean. And it would be a response that God would bring cleansing in our own lives for the year ahead, renewal in our own lives, and that we might depart here because we've received that renewal, as Isaiah did, saying, God, here am I. Send me. Whatever you have for me, whatever you want, I'm yours. So let's read the text together. It reads, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Just a side note here, you know, when there's people in our culture that will say, do you really believe that stuff of the Bible? And they'll kind of give something fantastic like do you really believe that your sins can be do you really believe that Jesus was the son of God and I'm like yeah I actually believe that and I believe in creatures that have six wings right and so if you're going to believe the Bible just so you know there's some crazy things that are far beyond us that we don't know and just so you know you're listening to a guy that believes that they're true and so here we're, we'll, we'll walk through what these things are but they're the seraphim these are flying around right the Lord and they're they're exalting him in every way Three, verse 3, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for, forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. In this passage, as we kind of begin to look at it, there's kind of this rhythm of the text. You may have seen it. God, God kind of is exalted, right? Isaiah responds, and then God kind of comes back into the picture, and then Isaiah responds again. So God is holy and righteous, right? This is this moment where he sees him, and then what's Isaiah? Isaiah's response is, woe is me, I'm undone. And so God's response to his contrite heart is to to forgive him of his sin. And then because God has forgiven Isaiah of of his sin, what his response then is, here am I, send me. God is high and exalted, and and Isaiah is always bringing himself down low. And this is kind of the rhythm, the, 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 the beat of this text. So the first thing that we see is a glimpse of the glory of God. It says, the year that King Uzziah died. So King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years, and at the end of his reign, this was really a, 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 a massive change for the people of Israel. This was this, we're not talking like a four-year term, eight-year term, a 52-year reign. And at the, at the end of his life, right, after there, there's a lot of change going to happen. Everyone would have known that this was a significant, climatic time and event in history. And there would have been much unrest in the people. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, right? There was this, a, a vision he had. He was awake. He didn't say, I fell asleep and God gave me a dream. This was, this was a, 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 an alert vision he has of the Lord. And he sees him seated on the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And so he's seated on the throne. God is high and exalted. He is the one who rules and reigns, king of kings. This is, I believe, the person of Jesus actually sitting on the throne, reigning in heaven, seated on the throne, high and lifted up, right? He is exalted above all things. And the train of his robe, literally his glory, it fills every part and in, in every corner, showing how holy and how righteous and how worthy he is. John 12, 41 will actually quote this, we'll talk about this text, it says, Isaiah said these things, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So in this, we see that even in the book of John, Jesus is going to refer backwards to Isaiah in this event in time where God, where Isaiah sees the glory of God, and God gives him insight into the invisible. He gives him insight into, into God as he is. Now, this is the reality of God that Isaiah sees. There is a reality that God is seated on the throne. The reality is is that God is high and exalted. The reality is is that the train of his robe fills, fills the temple with his glory. This isn't something to be debated. This isn't something that we can question of who God is or what he has done. This is who God is. And Isaiah had the great privilege in his life to see it, even in a, I believe, in a veiled way, because if he would have seen it, he would have been consumed. We see this over and over in Scripture about men. But in this moment, he sees God as he is. 
And the question, maybe in our own lives, is do you? Do you see the reality of who God is, is or is your reality what drives you, what moves you in your life? What we're going to see is that as, God, as, as Isaiah sees the reality of who God is, it changes how he lives. Maybe the reason our lives aren't changed in how we live is because we tend to live in an alternative reality rather than the genuine, true reality that God is, high and exalted, seated on the throne he gives him insight into the invisible, and it says, Above him stood seraphim, the burning ones, with burning zeal. The, 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 it's a literal word for the, the seraphim. They're the ones that, they're the fiery ones. They, they're impassioned for God. They have six wings. One covered their face because they could not gaze upon the holiness of God. Two covered their feet because they were not worthy to stand before him. And two were spread wide, ready to move at any second in expedient obedience to God at his bidding and at his will. And they called to one another and they shouted, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. And so here they're, they're proclaiming truth backwards to God toward him saying, You are holy, you are holy, you are holy. You, you are the Lord, you are the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory, that you are wonderful. And so they, they live in submission and unbroken song to God, the seraphim. The, they reveal the divine nature the earth was to be filled with, that it was created for and it was to be filled with. See, the seraphim are the ones crying out, and, and they kind of resonate a verse, Habakkuk 2.14, which if you've been around here last summer, we spent a lot of time on this verse. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. See, the heartbeat, the mission of God is to cover the earth with his glory. And although his glory is seen in this world and he created all things, sin has entered this world and there is brokenness all around us in this world. 11 o'clock last night, I was at the hospital with a family. Why? Because there is brokenness all around us in this world. We see it all the time, day to day in our lives. We can choose to kind of push that reality away, but the, but the true reality is this world is broken, and God has a mission. And his mission for Isaiah, we'll see after this text, is his mission for Isaiah is to go and proclaim the glory of the Lord and let it move out into the uttermost parts, parts of this world. But God is a God who is on mission and is desiring for his glory to spread his fame, Isaiah 26, 8, his fame and renown to spread across our land, to spread across the nations. It is his will to do this. And so the, these seraphim are, 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 are proclaiming the holiness of God, the mission of God, his will, and what will be one day. And so the result of this, of their shouting, the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of the seraphim, of their worship. Their worship literally was shaking the doorposts because it was so loud. So if, you're, if you don't like loud music and you get mad about that here sometimes, it's in the Bible. Like, it should. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Emails. And so, uh, 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 and so, the, so then, the last, in this kind of first beginning part of the section, one through four, it says that the house was filled with smoke, and there was, it represented the presence, but smoke often represented the anger, the wrath of God. 
that there must be judgment, that things aren't as they should be. And smoke rose up, and then Isaiah responds. And so we see first that, that again, there, he caught a glimpse of the glory of God, and he's caught up in this, and then he wakes up. In, in Isaiah's moment of waking up, he stops looking at the glory of God, he stops being consumed with it, and then he begins to look internally. And so maybe just before we move on, see, God is good. God is holy. God is just. He is kind. He is loving. He is never ending. He, has, he is the Alpha and the Omega. No beginning, no end. He is, he is wonderful. He is mighty. He is a counselor. You can call on him at any moment. God is love. God is joy. God is wrath. God is peace. God suffered for us on our behalf. God is, God is, God is. And I don't know if you know him, but if you do, there's something inside of your heart, even when I begin to declare who he is, that strangely warms you, that excites you, that gets you kind of jacked up about the faith. Can I say that? And there's something that, imagine in heaven these, these seraphim praising the Holy One. And they see the fullness of his work. They see the fullness of who he is. There's no veil for them. And they see all of this and they praise him so loud that the room literally shakes. And then Isaiah wakes up. And he wakes up and he sees himself in relation to God. And he says, his response, Woe is me. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Jesus, the Lord of hosts. This moment, he's caught up, and then he wakes up, and it leads to reality of who he really is. A reality of who he really is. He says, and I said, Isaiah says, woe is me. This is impassioned grief. Woe is me, for I am lost, undone, unworthy. I'm a man of unclean lips from the heart, the mouth, right? From the heart, the mouth, it, it overflows. Who I truly am, what comes out of me. And what he's saying is, I am unclean, God, before you. I'm unworthy before you. And then he says, I'm amongst a people of unclean lips recognizing that it's not just me, it's my culture, my society, lack of worshipers of you all around me. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. His eyes caught a glimpse of Jesus. His eyes caught a glimpse of the glory of God. And his response was, woe is me. I am undone, I am unclean, I am lost, and I'm amongst the people that are also. See, sin, typically in our life, is dealt with very mildly. And we live in a culture that deals with it very mildly. And so, you know, <clears throat> might say it like this, is he or she didn't have an affair, right? They just made a mistake. And we tend to lighten up on things that we do. You know, I, I, I spoke to that person in that way, but you got to understand, like, she's a jerk, right? I don't know, if, I don't know why I said she, but anyway. <laughs> uh, she's a jerk. He's a jerk. And you know what? It's justifiable. It's not wrong. 
you know, like, I, the only reason I gave that person that information about that other person is because they really needed to know it, because that person's terrible and they're going to hurt them. And we justify our sin, we justify our gossip, we justify what we want and our own desires, and we kind of live as kings of our own kingdoms, hoping that God will save me, and that I can kind of go to him as a personal shopper for the props of my life movie. But outside of that, my sin, this isn't the thing, but I, I promise you this, that one day, you and I, all of us, we will see him face to face. And, and one day, you will catch a glimpse of his glory. And I believe the people that have truly seen him, see, I think where salvation comes is when we catch a glimpse of who he is and what he has done for me. And what I do as a response to that is I bow down and I say, oh my goodness, God, I've sinned against you. I know it's true for me in my own life. The moment in time in my life where I realized not just the truth of the gospel, because see, I grew up in the church, I had that but I'd never, I'd never really been gripped by it. There was a moment in my life that was a woe is me. What have I done against you, God? That you would pour your wrath out on your son because of my sin, this is un, unthinkable. That you would pour out his blood to cover my sin. Lord, I, I have nothing to offer you. I am unclean. And I need to be made clean. Sin is not something that is just kind of this thing that everybody does. It's something that the Bible says separates us from God. And because of sin, the wrath of God was poured out on the person of Jesus. Sin is a really big deal. It's not something that we deal with flippantly. Don't hear me saying I'm not a perfect man, nor is anyone else in this room. But sin is a really big deal, and it should grieve us. And in this, when Isaiah catches a glimpse of God, he is deeply, deeply moved. So moved that he will recognize and humble himself, saying, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, saying, I don't have it together. I deserve wrath. I deserve judgment. I deserve whatever. He bows down before the Lord. See, the other thing that he realized is he was completely exposed before God. There is nothing that we can do to hide our sin, to veil it from God. He is fully aware. And I believe in this moment Isaiah realized how naked and how exposed he was before a holy God. So God's response, God's response is simply this. Look in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal. And there's so much really rich things in this that I wish we had all day to go through. The burning coal from the altar of incense, he would have taken it, which represented the fiery love and the divine love of God. And he takes it and he puts it on his lips and he heals this man, a man of unclean lips, out of his, right out of his heart, what, what, what exposed his sin, what exposed his heart. God touches him and, and he heals him. And, and he heals him from his sin. And in this, what we see is that sin can be removed. That God has a remedy for sin, and he will cleanse. He cleansed Isaiah of his sin, and today he can cleanse you and me of our sin. That he can touch us and heal us through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he came and died for, that we might be reconciled, be made right with God. 
sin can be removed. And see, the seraphim did not right, remove the sin. He just brought the coal from the altar that represented that was the divine love of God. Only God can remove it. You and I can't. There's no amount of good works that will achieve like the removal of our sin. God must do this, and he has done it, by sending his son to die for us on the cross where his fiery love was completely displayed for us. See, the fire of God's deep love can only atone. You think about the cross for a moment. It's one of the most peculiar things in the whole world. It's the only thing that I've ever been able to think of, and this is actually something I've contemplated, where so much wrath and so much love existed at one time. See, the, the, great, the great mystery of the cross is those two things together. The wrath of God being poured out for humanity. Jesus being beaten, stripped of his flesh from the back of his head to the bottom of his field. Beaten 39 times, nine tails going in, taking the flesh and ripping them out. Being beaten to a degree that would, is horrifying, that no movie, that nothing could quite explain, especially for the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. The wrath of God being poured out because of sin, but yet the deep love of God saying, I love my created one so much that I will sacrifice the one I deeply love most for them. Love and wrath mingled together in the sacrificial death of Jesus. See, God loves us, and he, he hates sin. His wrath had to be poured out on sin, and his grace is freely available because his love was fully displayed through the cross. So we see that Isaiah, in this text, he receives grace and forgiveness Again, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lip, your guilt. Notice it doesn't even say sin. Your guilt. His guilt is gone. It's taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then in verse 8, last, he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Just so you know, when God speaks throughout the scripture, God is always speaking on mission. He's always speaking, who's going to go? Who's going to tell? Who's going to expand my glory and my fame? Who's going to go to the ends of the earth? Who's going to go to the neighbor? Who's going to go? And it's not the people we see in Scripture that say, God, I'm going to go because I want to really work my way up to you and get a, really a lot of good things in my bank account. But what we see, it's just like Isaiah. It's a man who realizes, I am unclean, I am undone, and I am unworthy. And I, I, I can say this genuinely. I am the most unworthy person to stand up here and teach this word today. There is nothing that I have done to earn this or attain it all is from God. And I've had this moment in my very own life when God said clear to me, whom shall I send and who will go? And I humbly said, I'm not worthy of this, but God, if you could use me in any degree, I'm in. And I believe this is Isaiah's response. It says, who will go for us? And notice it says us. 
Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who will go for us? And he says, here I am. Send me. It's this moment of Isaiah, not just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for cleansing me. Thank you for renewing me. But he had truly been cleansed. He'd truly been renewed. And because of what God had done, his simple response was, whatever you want from me, God, I'm in. And just so you know, Isaiah had a really hard ministry road ahead of him. And he didn't know the fullness of it. That's why God's word is a light unto our past, and a path and not a spotlight into our future, right? Because we wouldn't go and do half the things we're going to do because they would be so daunting if we saw the end. But I do know that he's with me as I move ahead each step of the road. And Isaiah's response to grace was simply, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I'm in. What about you today? What is your response to the grace of God that you have received? See, Isaiah's was self-denial. It was a loss of self. It was an all-of-life, he titled it, all-of-life commitment, that I'm yours to whatever degree you want to use me for. See, 2017, you can go at it alone or you can go at it with God. If you've received grace and mercy, if you've received forgiveness, if you believe that you're unworthy, if you believe that you are unclean, if you believe that you've been given grace, if you believe that you've been given forgiveness, I truly believe we have only one response, and that one response is, God, I'm yours. And see, maybe you've said that to God a long time ago. But see, I think that Isaiah didn't just say it here, but what we would see if we'd see Isaiah's life is, I think he made that commitment over and over and over and over again. The reason I do is because I kind of know humanity because I live amongst it, right? The reason I know pride in others is because I can see it clearly in myself. See, a commitment to saying, God, here I am, send me, is one that we make weekly. It's when we do communion, when we watch baptisms, when we gather and hear God's word, when we meet in homes and we study God's words, when we stay. We constantly need reminders that this life isn't my own. And maybe to start 2017 off, maybe two things that you might say. One, God, I'm tired of going at it alone, and I'm going to go at 2017 with you. Whatever you have, I'm in. Maybe kind of added to that would be, God, here I am. Send me. And just so you know, that's a difficult thing to pray and ask because that might mean certain things for each of us. Might mean that our future isn't quite as intact as we thought it was. That our plan might change greatly and we might go and we might do things. Thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands never heard the name of Jesus in our world. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands have no Bible written in their own language. We live in a Stark County. A few years ago when I first came, one of the church plants in this region, I met with a guy and he had fuller 
Fuller's Theological Seminary do a study of how many people attended evangelical churches that proclaimed the gospel in Stark County, Ohio. The research came back 8%. That was the research of that that would attend three out of six weeks in Stark County. The reality is, even in our own county, there is so much work to be done for the gospel. Students, there's a lot of work to be done, isn't there? You know it and you see it. Adults, you know it and you see it all around us. And maybe 2017, as a church, as individuals, we will in greater ways say, God, here I am. Send me, use me in my county, in my world, whatever you want, I'm in. Because God, you are holy and you are far above me. And I am unclean and I am unworthy. God, your grace and forgiveness are so undeserving. Please, whatever you want to do with me, do it because you are worthy of my whole life, complete commitment from me. I think 2017 is going to be a great year. But if you go at it alone, I, I think it'll be a really hard year. And the reason I say that is because I know it. I know it from God's word, and I know it from my own experience. And I implore you, plead with you, go at this year with Jesus Christ as your Savior in full surrender and commitment to him. Not a better way to start out 2017. Let's pray together. Father, we believe that you are holy, that you are high, exalted, far above us and far beyond us. That you are set apart, that you are different than us. Literally, your glory is it's so inexpressible that even, even these images, that we can't even quite grab onto them, that the train of your robe, your splendor and your wonder could fill, could fill a room. The holy ones that surround you just shake in proclaiming who you are and what you've done and how you act. Lord, help us to respond well to this morning. And so those, Lord, that, that have been going at their life alone forever because they've never given their life to you, Jesus, would you give them the strength to humble themselves this morning and to say before you that they are unclean, that they've sinned against you. Give them the strength this morning to simply surrender their life to you, to follow you and to serve you, to love you and to live for you. Lord, for those that have believed, would help. Help us to, to not live for ourselves, to not live in the realities that we create for ourselves, but in the actual reality of a God who reigns and rules, of an eternity that's worthy of, of complete service toward you. Help us to live in the reality of, of how unworthy we are, yet the extent you've gone to forgive us, and help us to respond to your grace and your love and your mercy by being obedient to you. As those that worship you in heaven 
move quickly in obedience at your bidding, at your will. Help us to be people in this year to come to move quickly as you speak, as you have spoken. To be proclaimers of your good news, to, to bring mercy and justice to those that are hurting and broken. To go to the most distant land if you call or just simply to be faithful right where you've planted us. Lord, we collectively say to you, Lord, I, I believe the heart of this congregation, the heart of many, Lord, we, we just simply say to you, here we are, Lord, send us, use us for your kingdom and for your glory to whatever extent you desire. Might your fame be known street by street and block by block in Stark County. Might your fame be spread to the very ends of the earth, to those who've never even heard of you or known you. Lord, give us a heart for your mission. The knowledge of the glory of you might cover the earth as the water covers the sea. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you this morning. Help us to respond well as we sing this song to whatever you're saying. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And invite you to stand. And as we stand, as we sing this song, we're going to sing a song that we've sang here sometimes. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Maybe in some ways the word of God or worship today has exposed something in your heart. You need to come down to the altars and pray and ask for forgiveness. This is not an abnormal thing we do here. It's something that you are, we applaud those who have courage to come and pray. Maybe it's to surrender your, your life to the Lord for the first time. Or maybe it's to pray for someone else. Maybe it's to simply say to God, here I am, send me. These altars are open to start 2017, humbling ourselves before the Lord, committing ourselves to him, recognizing who he is. Come freely as we sing.